Hello and welcome to an NHS England podcast exploring the ways that we can create a sustainable workforce of digital data and technology specialists. We have to be realistic about some of the position we're in at the moment. Digital and diagnostics and things like that are at risk of taking a bit of a hit. Often this workforce is seen as a bit of a back office undervalued workforce. What that means is in workforce planning discussions, we really haven't talked about digital data and technology staff before at this sort of level with this sort of potential around solving the problem. There is something about just really keeping an eye on that diversity and making sure that we don't step backwards when actually we've made quite a lot of progress in what can be a very male dominated environment. The culture is one of the most fundamental aspects of the success of this agenda really, isn't it? Is embedding it at the strategic level, making sure that this workforce and the digital transformation agenda is fully part of the operational objective of the organisation as well. Let's be honest, there's a lot of turmoil at the moment. There's been a lot of organisational change, both at national, local levels, political levels. But actually it's those strong relationships which are going to keep going and take you through all this at the end. I'm Yinka Makinde, Director of the Digital Workforce Team at NHS England. It's a team dedicated to delivering a huge and exciting agenda that will ensure that digital and data workforce is a focus, not only for NHS England, but also for each of our integrated care systems, helping them to meet the ever-growing demands and ambitions of the health and care sector. This is the first of a two-part series looking at the digital workforce plan and the ways that we can create a sustainable workforce for DDAT, digital data and technology specialists. Joining me today are James Freed and Asha Cowie. James. So I'm James Freed. I'm the senior responsible owner for a programme called Digital Readiness Education. That is also known as the Digital Academy. We deliver digital education products and services to the NHS and to social care. Welcome, James. Asha. Hello, and um, thanks for having me too. I'm Asha Cowie, and I work at Surrey and Borders Partnership NHS Foundation Trust, the leading provider of health and social care services for people of all ages with mental ill health and learning disabilities in Surrey and North East Hampshire. I'm a strategic transformation lead within the Digital Directorate. I'm co-founder of something called Flex NHS, a community to support flexible working in the NHS. And I'm currently co-chairing the South East Digital Health Skills Development Network. Wow, so that's an incredible wealth of experience that we have between both yourself, Asher and James, which allows us to have a really exciting conversation today. So I'd like to kick off by asking you both to briefly outline what you see as the missing parts of the puzzle when we talk about, when we consider the digital and data workforce. Can I start with you, Asher? I actually wanted to start with the positive. I've worked in this space, I've doubled in it for about 10 years how I met James actually as a disgruntled grad trainee who was a bit lost and confused. But actually reflecting on that, the phenomenal period of growth over the 10 years has been great. But there's a dedicated programme in NHS England that you're leading, Yinka, all the work from Digital Readiness and the Digital Academy. Honestly, the growth and maturity of it, I've seen as someone on the ground, not living and breathing that, you know, I am the end user of all this. In terms of missing parts, I think there's probably three things I'm going to pick up on here. The first one is how we continue to keep increasing diversity in this space. There's lots of pockets going on again. So there's been more inclusive recruitment on programmes and things. 
But actually, we need to be mindful of the last few years in particular, and actually things like risk to the increase to the gender pay gap again, the childcare crisis. And actually, anecdotally, I have felt like I've seen less women around when I've been going to conferences and stuff. So I think there is something about just really keeping an eye on that diversity and making sure that we don't step backwards when actually we've made quite a lot of progress in what can be a very male-dominated environment. And that's also about diversity of different roles as well. So actually having really good opportunities that are equitable for different areas. And actually that leads really nicely onto my second point. Since joining a mental health community trust, I've become a lot more acutely aware of the importance of working with our voluntary community, social enterprise and faith sector colleagues. I know it's one step at a time, but actually, how do they over time get the same opportunities in their roles because they're providing a tremendous amount of support to patient care? I've just started the Digital Academy cohort. One of the people I met on that course just last week is a nurse in a hospice. And that really made me smile because I think she's the first person I've met from that sort of background. And the last point, I think, is about sustainability and the risk of reverting back. We have to be realistic about some of the position we're in at the moment. Digital and diagnostics and things like that are at risk of taking a bit of a hit in this space. There's a real risk that if we can't keep going and be sustainable, you know, our operational and clinical qualities are going to get frustrated. We risk breaking down those relationships that we've built and have really strengthened over COVID. Some of the implications of that is we might then start picking up the pieces of things that have gone a bit wrong because actually people have tried to do their own thing without the right expertise, the right skills across the DDAT workforce to support them we really need to make sure we're collectively still arguing our value and our case for investment in this space so it doesn't get lost and drowned out with everything else can i just clarify when you talk about value and case for investment are you talking about the value and case for investment in digital innovation or in the workforce to support it i think it's both and i think they go hand in hand and actually that's a really interesting point where sometimes if you are fighting for that investment it might be that you can afford the digital product but you can't afford the teams and resources to wrap around that and actually do it well. Yeah, thanks, Sasha. James, what's your view? What do you think's missing? I'm not sure how much is actually missing, but there's lots that needs to be strengthened. I'd really echo what Asha said around inequalities and problems around diversity. That is missing at the moment. I wanted to approach this from a slightly different angle, though. So in order to answer the question, what is missing, we need to first answer the question, what we're trying to achieve. And I think that if I summarise the work that we're trying to do, digital doesn't exist as an end in its own right. It's there to deliver better health and social care. And we can do that if we encompass a lot of things simultaneously. And our research indicates that in order to get more value for health and care through the use of digital technologies and data, you need an environment that accepts it and recognises it, what you might call culture or senior leadership. You need a workforce that is accepting of change and able to contribute to that change and own change, what I might call digital literacy in its bluntest sense. And then finally, you need a skill set in what you might call your digital expert cadre or your digital professional cadre that enables them to use modern day internet-based technologies well, including the ways of working to employ those at pace. Then it comes down to, do you have enough people, the capacity issue? Do you have enough skills, the capability issue? And do you articulate what skills you need and what increasingly specialist roles in your workforce, which I might describe as the professionalism issue? Why do you think we haven't made more progress on these issues? From where I sit and from the conversations that I've had, 
the culture is one of the most fundamental aspects of the success of this agenda, really, isn't it? Is embedding it at the strategic level, making sure that this workforce and the digital transformation agenda is fully part of the operational objective of the organisation as well. So given that we've known this for many years, why do you think we've not made the progress that we feel that we should have by now? That's a really interesting question. And actually, that perspective is very much influenced by where we are in terms of the species that we call uh, Homo sapiens. The concept of progress, believe it or not, is relatively recent. (laughs) And the concept that we should be progressing as a species or as a government or as a country or as an industry is a relatively recent one. Technology has massively impacted on the uptake of innovations. So if you go back to like the 14th century, the introduction of the longbow, which was the biggest technological advance of its age, it was a phenomenally powerful weapon. It took over a century for the adoption of the longbow to move from one side of Europe to the other. Even things more recently, like the refrigerator or the car, took more than 50 or 60 years to go from being a nice idea to being that a few people had to being something that more than half the population had. Nowadays, adoption is considered, especially around digital technologies, in seconds or minutes or worst days or months. We're somewhere in between, right? There are lots of things that impact progress. The reason I say all of those things is to put it into context that the progress that we are having may seem slow and glacial, but it's far faster than it ever has been. And actually, if even looking at technology in the NHS, the changes that we've made in the last three years are much faster than the changes made in the last decade. And if you go right back to the 80s, really, which is when primary care and pathology labs in hospitals first started to digitise, it was very slow. So we are definitely accelerating exponentially in line with digital technologies in general. The big thing that's pushing us now, we've learned a lot from things like COVID. And people say, how do we capture that legacy? I'm not sure it's possible to quite capture it in the way that people are asking. But nonetheless, there are lessons that it teaches us. Focusing on smaller things means you can go faster on those smaller number of things. And COVID really focused everyone's view into one point. The second one was we pushed power to the point of the people who were delivering. Now, that's a really interesting one. So NHS providers produce a number of leadership guides. They talk about the speed of trust rather than the speed of process. And that's what COVID did. You didn't have time to go through committees making decisions and making approvals. You just have to say, get on with it and launch it as soon as you possibly can. And then the third one was this concept that we have in digital of a minimum viable product, an MVP which we normally shy away from. I don't know if you've noticed this, but our tendency as an industry is to aim for the great, even if it's in two or three years' time. We say, oh, no, we'll get there. We'll make sure it's great in two or three years' time. And we don't try and do something quickly, which means all of those assumptions stay with us for a huge amount of time and amount of expenditure, and then it becomes too politically sensitive to say it's failed. So the concept of a minimum viable product, and just to illustrate that, the Topol review that was released in 2019 before the pandemic, made certain predictions based on the evidence around where technology will be. Telemedicine was predicted to get to an 85% penetration of the NHS by 2030. The very next year, we had a pandemic. Within 10 days, we hit that level of penetration in the NHS. And that's what these things can do. So if you're talking about speed, yes, things are slow. We are concentrating on a billion things at once. We are stressed. We're a very pressured environment. So there are lots of reasons why progress feels slower than it is and is slower than it can be. But there are real nuggets of this is how we could do it quicker. I'd now like to look at how we can make change at the organisational level. I think there's a growing 
appreciation of the value of creating multidisciplinary teams to drive innovation within organizations, bringing the right people together to solve the problems that are needed to be solved. So Asha, I wanted to ask you, because obviously you work at Surrey and Borders and you have a trust provider level perspective on this. I wanted to find out how is your organisation embracing the value of teams really and, and bringing together digital data and technology and change teams as well? One of the reasons I actually applied for the role at Serian Borders was because I'd seen something different in how they were talking about the way they funded teams rather than projects or programmes. A little while ago, I was at a conference where Dr. Anne-Marie Cunningham asked a question into the audience about who felt empowered to build a team. And I think only me and one other person put their hand up in this full room of people. I think James is nodding because he was on that panel as well. And I was quite shocked. I knew we were doing things differently, but I didn't think I quite realised how stark it could be. And I'm not going to say it's all perfect either. The directorate has grown quite rapidly over COVID and we've got a lot of OD work to do and we're doing lots of stuff. But I think... We do have a real focus on funding projects and programmes instead of teams. And I want to reflect a little bit on why this is a problem and why it can create challenges. The first thing is, I think if you're not focused on creating teams in that sense, you're not creating a learning culture as an organisation. You're not creating the space for teams and different professions to grow and get to know each other. I think you can risk having very siloed parts of DDAP that are not really working together or even know each other exists or what each other does. So there's something for me about creating teams puts more of a focus on being a learning organisation, getting to know each other, understand how you collaborate and work together. And I think it takes you to more of an outcome focus rather than a time delivery focus. I do want to talk about sort of bringing in agency and consultancies for a moment as well. It can be a false economy sometimes because actually what you end up doing is you bring people in on a short term piece of work. It can be more costly in the long run. And actually, we underestimate the time it takes to build trust with those people and the people they need to work with. And then that's just with digital people, let alone trying to get operational and clinical engagement with people that are so stretched at the moment with their own workforce pressures. So actually, I've seen firsthand that real value of the teams we've got really being able to embed themselves and be part of our clinical and operational teams. And that's really important. We, for example, have a strategic role within our senior leadership team where we're aligned to the different operational divisions. And all of this stuff, it's trust, it's culture, it's getting to know each other and it's building relationships. And actually, let's be honest, there's a lot of turmoil at the moment. There's been a lot of organisational change, both at national, local levels, political levels, everything. But actually, it's those strong relationships which are going to keep going and take you through all this at the end. I think we also need to talk about what a team is. I would refer listeners to the NHS providers. There's a leadership guide on building and enabling digital teams, which is phenomenally good. And they do talk about building teams and investing in teams, not products or solutions or systems. But what is a team? So they also say when you get more work, you don't build your team. You don't grow your team. You build another team. There are some things that are underneath that that it's worth being explicit with. I'll give you the James Free definition of a team, if you like. 
a team is relatively small. Number one, everyone broadly knows what everyone else is doing in the team. And you might have heard of the Jeff Bezos Amazon two pizza model. A team you can feed on two pizzas in a meal is the idea. In reality, and looking from the innovation and management evidence base, that means that a team is probably no more than about 13 people. And in many cases, it will be a lot smaller. It is multidisciplinary. We use that term in the NHS to mean a very specific thing. So a multidisciplinary team in the NHS is a group of clinicians who make the right decision about an individual patient going through their service. It's very clinical and it's very focused around the needs of that one individual. When I talk about a multidisciplinary team, I'm not talking about that. I'm still talking about the service might be ophthalmology or oncology or whatever it might be. What I am talking about is the skills that enable you to deliver a better service tomorrow than you did today. And that incorporates change management, innovation, transformation, quality improvement, and digital as a tool set to enable you to do all of the above. It involves clinical skills because clinicians deliver those services and they understand and talk to patients. They are not patients themselves. And also non-clinical staff, and I mean digital staff here. There are some really clear roles as to what a multidisciplinary team needs to have within it. Government defined it in the Digital Data and Technology Framework. Yinka's team is defining it specifically for the NHS as the set of roles that are required within health and care to create multidisciplinary teams. And then there's a third element that a team needs to have to make it work, and that is empowerment. It needs to be able to make decisions. It needs to be able to move at the speed of trust, not at the speed of process. And teams need to talk a lot. So in the digital world, we have methodologies. You may have heard of the word agile and Scrum is a type of agile methodology. People have stand-up meetings every single day where they just very, very rapidly talk about what they did yesterday and what they're going to do today. And it just means that everyone is on the same page. It means that you don't get misunderstandings on delivery. It means that pieces work well together. And it means that a relatively small, compact team can develop a better service literally tomorrow than they have done today. Wow. So this is an area that really does excite me because it is fundamentally a different approach and a different way of delivering transformation. But it links us back to the topic of culture, because I think the culture needs to evolve across our organisations in order for us to embrace this new team approach to delivering transformation. And so I guess the challenge that we have is that at the moment, there's no links between ops teams in trust, the digital or IT function in trust, and the transformation team. Surely those three need to be working more closely together in organisations in order for us to move forward, much more holistic approach to quality improvement, innovation and transformation within our organisations, but then also to allow us to start to embrace approaches that are focused around teams. Asha? This is quite timely, actually, because we have just started and for the next few months we'll be going through our sort of annual planning process where we're looking at actually what do we want to achieve for the next year and what does that look like so we've actually built in-house design teams again one of the sort of pulls for coming to Surrey and Border is we've got these in-house teams where you've got roles such as a product manager a scrum master user researchers and those design teams are actually aligned to major transformation programs within our trust 
So that's been a brilliant way to really get those links between those teams into those transformation programme and making really clever, like the, the stuff these people can do is incredible with the front end design work they've done that make those really iterative, clever, quick changes as they need to by working in that agile way. The flip side of it then is how we get the balance between the links between those who are embedded in our transformational programmes in that way, but also that link to our IG specialists or our clinical safety specialists. And, you know, we still need to work through some of that, but it feels like we've come quite a long way in terms of how we work with operations, clinicians, transformation in that way. We are now embarking on a process to work very collaboratively with colleagues across the system, and this is the health and care system, to develop a digital workforce plan that starts to set out what the key priorities are for bridging the skills gap. And we would like to set out some real clear actions for how we will address the capacity and capability challenges that we're facing. We are very much encouraging our stakeholders from across the system to engage and get involved in this process. Now, at the centre, we have some strong views around what we feel the Digital Workforce Plan needs to be delivering. But I'd be very interested to get the viewpoints from our guests on what they hope the Digital Workforce Plan will offer and deliver for our stakeholders. And I know, James, you are actually involved in supporting us with this plan. But what impact are you hoping that the Digital Workforce Plan will have for the sector? I think that first and foremost, it is a clarity around what levers need to be pulled with what amount of effort. We can think about formal recruitment pipelines and upskilling pipelines into the NHS to try and build capacity. We can think about CPD and development of a workforce that is already in place. We can think about reskilling or changing skills. We can also think about the environment and how that needs to be tackled. Or we can look at really difficult problems like diversity. And hopefully the workforce plan will look at all of these different things and work out what we need to do in what sort of proportions, because we've got a limited amount of collective headroom and we can't do everything at once and indeed some of these levers if you pull them too hard they're detrimental what we don't want to do is flood the market with a whole bunch of people who we can't then afford to employ the real value of doing this workforce planning from my perspective at a regional level is it really gives employers a voice in the national levers that we're pulling because we don't really know we've got some ideas about the demand for the workforce and the substantial increase in the demand for the digital and data and technology workforce over the next 10 years or so what we don't know is its affordability and we don't know local organizations hiring intentions and that has a lot of different things underlying it so digital data and technology we talked right back at the beginning about how often this workforce is seen as a bit of a back office undervalued workforce what that means is in workforce planning discussions we really haven't talked about digital data and technology staff before at this sort of level with this sort of potential around solving the problem or even articulating the problem number two very selfishly i am delivering education programs i want to know where the biggest bang for buck is i want to know where the big problems are that we need to solve through education and this workforce planning process is one but not the only way of trying to help me do that and the third and i think most important is to develop a collective understanding that this is our collective responsibility and problem we literally have never had these discussions at regional or local level before as it appertains to hiring practice and development practice and the responsibilities of those organisations. And if we can foster 
that level of responsibility for digital data and technology skills development and staff recruitment in local organizations in a way that it hasn't done before. That is, I think, the single biggest thing this workforce planning exercise can do. Asha, now ideally, how can this digital workforce plan help you and your colleagues at the trust level? I'm going to start from a slightly different hat, but then I'll get into the trust stuff. And again, for context, I've been involved in establishing the Digital Health Skills Development Network in the southeast. Just wanted to make the point, there has been a lot of reliance on goodwill when it comes to especially the regional work, I think, up until this point. And, you know, it's only been the last 10 years or so we've seen the establishment of your team, Yinka, and the Digital Readiness Programme previously, building a digital ready workforce and all of that. It's great there's been all that national infrastructure but actually, and I will caveat, I spent a year and a half working with the digital readiness teams. There was brilliant work going on, but getting it out into the regions, that regional ownership, that local ownership was quite challenging because it was reliant on goodwill. In terms of some of the stuff we're doing at a trust level, I'm actually overseeing a bit of a workforce development programme within our directorate. Again, partly recognising on the fact our directorate has grown quite a lot in quite a short space of time and what do we need to do? And we're focusing on three areas. One is about getting some of the real basics right, and that's everything from recruitment to how we communicate across the directorate and, and outside the directorate. And then the two aspects probably more relevant to this. The second area is looking at ways of working within the directorate, so looking at the relationships between teams, the development of teams. And the third area is about that personal development journey, so you as an individual, and that's everything from making sure actually you're getting a really good, meaningful appraisal right through to you can identify what your needs are because there's a clearer career pathway or framework you can use to understand what the opportunity are. You're inspired by people, you can see what's out there right through to the equity of those opportunities that are out there. And that might be a national opportunity like the Digital Academy or Topol or Florence Nightingale, or it could be a local opportunity. So actually, Frimley ICS to deliver something called Wavelength. Quite a few of my colleagues within Surrey Borders have gone on that. So it's how we bring all that together. And I think for me, whatever the digital workforce plan can do to scale up the bits that can be scaled up will be really important. Talent pools, recruitment, recruitment pooling, graduates at a higher level and actually graduate trainees is a brilliant example I've got loads of managers in my team who would love a graduate trainee but actually where we are at the moment it's creating that role you need a budget for that role you know some of the logistics can be managed elsewhere and actually we can then spend our efforts on giving that graduate a meaningful placement for example I'm very confident that the the priorities and the actions that uh, are defined in the digital workforce plan will address those points. The objective of the plan is to bridge the skills gap for digital data and technology specialists across the health and care system. It will look at how we introduce and align new emerging and in-demand and critical job roles, which will include cyber, IT, data analysts. It will promote and enhance professionalisation Colleagues across the system are struggling to figure out what the career paths are and also what's expected of them at times in terms of competencies. And it will also set out the plans around continual professional development. Importantly, we'll look at how we start to attract more people into the sector. This very much is an opportunity for us to look at channels through which we can start to make sure that we are creating a much more diverse workforce. We are already delivering actually graduate schemes with a focus on DDAT skills. 
as well as apprenticeship schemes. And then we also want to find ways of motivating our staff to stay in the sector. So we need to create much more compelling career opportunities for individuals that may wish to consider the health and care sector as a place for them to work. As we continue to build the momentum around growing and nurturing our digital data and technology workforce across the health and care sector, I strongly encourage you to get really involved. There are three ways in which you can do this. The first one is to link in with your local skills development networks. They can signpost you to education and training opportunities. The second is to join your professional body if you haven't already done so. They can also start to give you insights into professional development, job opportunities. The third one is the Shuri Network. They play a major role in creating opportunities, particularly those from ethnic backgrounds and or females. Episode two will take a closer look at the clinical side of things and how we get more clinicians into digital and data roles, particularly those roles that help capture, communicate and use data to support their fellow health professionals to deliver data-driven healthcare improvements. You can find further information and a range of resources on most of what we've discussed today by signing up to Future NHS and searching for Digital Workforce. I'd like to say a big thank you to Asha and James for sharing their insights and giving us some real food for thought. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having us. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to a podcast produced by Robert Mulligan for NHS England.